the 15th. So we're going to just dip for a moment into Proverbs chapter 15. Wrong one. (laughs) That's okay. All the way back to the top. So today, Proverbs 15, verse 31. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that one's a good good one to let it just kind of soak in. Go ahead. Can you see him? Can you see the way God directs your life one decision at a time? Did I make the right move? Did I make the wrong move? Where is God in all of our decisions? Because there are so many decisions to make. Should I go to college? Where should I go? What should I do? Where should I live? Where should I work? Should I work at a job I love or one that makes more money? Can you see him? Should I date this person? Should I get married? Once we get married, should we have kids or should we wait? One kid? Two kids? Three? How do we know? Can you see him? In reality, God knows the end before the start. Can you see him? Because he will direct your life. Can you hear him? Because if you just listen and watch, he'll direct your life. Can you see him? You know, um, I wanted to plant the imagery of chess in your minds before we started today. I don't know how many of you play chess, but I learned to play chess as a little guy. My father taught me. And um, after a number of times we played, pretty soon I found myself defeating my father at chess, and I was a little guy, and I don't think I realized until like two weeks ago that he was letting me win back when I was a little guy. And um, um, I wasn't some great manner of chess player, but um, I could play okay. And um, and as I grew up in the, in, the, in the city of Spokane, they've got parks there, and they had activities in the summer, and so I entered some tournaments, and I remember thinking I was some manner of chess player, and I... <laughs> I got blown out in the very first round by a kid my age uh, playing chess in this big tournament one year. And um, I realized the reason that he defeated me was that he was thinking ahead more moves than I was thinking. He was thinking in strategies and ways of going about the game that I hadn't ever even thought of. And um, sometimes I think life I think about life in terms of the steps I'm going to take and the plans that I have. And if this happens, then here's how I will react and what's important. And there is constantly something changing in my mind and my perspective about my tomorrows, about how I'll react. Now, I've got this limited intellect and perspective just because I'm this created human being, just like you are. And then we think about the Lord. And the Lord, this game is seen he's has seen all the moves before the game even starts he already knows the end uh, how many of you think that at some point tomorrow next week five years 15 years right now you're going to be making an important decision at some point and it might not be bad to get the lord's viewpoint about that decision anybody feel that way okay good so i think today um the message might speak to us about as we look at how god will direct our lives um one step at a time. I want to start today and talk about um, uh, the conversion of a guy named Saul. Um, this Saul was Paul 
but before his name was changed. So we'll know him as Saul. He was born in Tarsus. He was a Jew by birth. He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was like the best of the best, the cream of the crop. And at the same time, he was the worst of the worst. And we'll talk about what that means. He was educated in the very best place in, in Jerusalem. He, um, he studied divinity and um, Jewish law under the very best rabbi of the day, a guy named Gamaliel. That would be the equivalent today of saying that he got his uh, master's of divinity at Oxford and his Juris Doctorate at Harvard. I mean, that's what this guy was. He went to the best, best people who could educate him, and he was a Pharisee, which we think, well, that's a hypocrite, a, a religious hypocrite, and maybe, I don't know. But, but a Pharisee was a group of people who didn't keep just Ten Commandments. They had 613 rules to live life by. So, I mean, this guy was, you know, his, I think you could probably bounce a quarter off of his bed sheet when he made it in the morning, you know, kind of a guy. I mean, maybe, maybe not, but he seems to have been the best of the best. And um, at the same time, though, he was the worst of the worst because he absolutely despised Christianity. And, um, you know, you may... You may uh, remember in the book of Acts a story there about a fairly young guy whose name was Stephen who was stoned to death, a Christian named Stephen who was stoned to death. Saul was the guy and the leader behind all of that, and he was there involved in that. In fact, under his, link, his leadership, he almost single-handedly scattered the entire church out of the city of Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection as the, as the, uh, the, the religious leaders of the day were pursuing people. And they were chasing down Christians to capture them and to um, torture them, and even they would kill some of them. So that's where we're going to pick up, and we're in Acts uh, 9, 9 verses, start in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So um, what is the way? Well, Christians weren't being called Christians at this point of time. They were being called the disciples of Jesus or followers of Jesus. They were people who belonged to the way. And I think that came from Jesus' comments but that he was the way, the truth, and the life. So Saul was seeking permission to go after the people who were part of the way. And the word says he was breathing out murderous threats. Now, here in our environment here in Rochester and in our culture, we're thinking, you know, if we're a little bit persecuted, um, what that means to us is somebody makes some comments about you on Facebook because you were a little bit too pious or religious, or maybe the guys at work are giving you a hard time because at lunchtime you want to sit and read your Bible, so they give you a hard time. We're being persecuted. Um, that's not what we're talking about here. In fact, um, there are other places in the world today that are more similar to what was going on in Jerusalem at this time. Um, last week, Easter Sunday, 12 Christians were tried uh, on trial for being Christians in Iran. Um, there was a pastor there that was sentenced to death in February for converting from Islam to Christianity. He's in jail right now, and there's this worldwide you know, buzz about that to see what will happen. Um, there are places in the world right now where you pull out your iPhone and pull up the Bible, and you can go to prison for that. That's what persecution that we're talking about. In fact, you, you might think, well, yeah, but that's so far that'll never in, be involved here. We, we hope not, but go to England. England right now, uh, it, there are at least 85 Sharia councils 
What's a Sharia council? Well, it's a, it's a council set up by the imams, the leaders of the Islamic faith who are part of that nation that live there. And the people of Islam go there for justice. Now, it was said originally that, well, this will just be civil. These people can get there and maybe get divorces and get things through, um, ruled on by their religious leaders, and they have no effective law. But the problem is that they very slowly are now creeping into the, uh, the legal system in England. In fact, a couple of years ago, the Archbishop of Canter- Canterbury basically said that the adoption of Sharia law was going to be unavoidable in, in British culture. Now, who's the Archbishop of Canterbury? He's, he's like the overseeing bishop of the Church of England. So this is a major spokesperson for a, a, a large faith in that, uh, in that nation. So, you know, you might be thinking, okay, that's the world they're living in. And, and these people who lived at that time were probably thinking, this guy, Saul, is probably the last person who is ever going to become a Christian. There, nobody, everybody, everybody else is going to become a Christian. We'll do it. He'll be the last guy in line if, if he ever gets in the line. And he hates Christian people, and there's just no way. Maybe you know some people at work, friends at school. You maybe know some people, and you're thinking in your mind, there's no way they will ever open their heart to the Lord. Maybe they're intellectual atheists. Maybe they're really moral people, but they just want nothing to do with God. And uh, the thing is that very often the people who appear to be the absolute farthest from God are sometimes, they're this razor-thin distance away from God. They're actually the closest. God's often at work in those lives. So let's pick back up again in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, about that light, um, if you fast forward to Acts chapter 26, Saul describes that light as brighter than the sun. So we're talking about a very, very light bright. It's not like a flashbulb, but we're talking about mega bright. He fell to the ground, verse 4, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, 30 seconds before, this guy is breathing out murderous threats, okay, against Christians and Christ. And then in verse 5, he starts to respect the one who shot this light down. Who are you, Lord? Um, Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you were persecuting, he replied. Boom. Everything changed in just one moment. I, um, I, have, I have a boom personal <laughs> experience, and this was not when I, I didn't, I wasn't struck by light and, and came to the Lord that way, but I had a, a boom, everything changed in a moment experience. I was in ninth grade, I wasn't some manner of great athlete or anything, but this is an athlete story, so, you know, whatever. So I, I was playing football in ninth grade for the first time. I'd never played any organized football ever in my life. Didn't really know even all the rules. And I was just this guy who, um, I was a handful growing up. And, um, and defense was my thing, although I played some offense. I, defense was my thing because if you're on defense, it's not about protecting your, your end zone. That's really not what def- defense is about spoiling the other guy's plans. Whatever he wants to do, you destroy his plans. That's what defense really is. (laughs) So a guy like me tearing around the field, making problems. Perfect for that. I'm just perfect for that. And so they put me in and I'm in in a scrimmage and I'm I'm just this terror running around. I was fairly quick compared to some of these big guys. And and I, you know, the, the, the defensive coach says, get in there and break up the play, which means, you know, get into the backfield, get on the quarterback, stop the play. And I think I did that two, three, four plays in a row, and they couldn't run any plays. And now I didn't know much about, here's how much I knew about football. 
Playing safety, you guys will understand this. We're, we're scrimmaging, I'm playing safety, and the guy who is the stud on the team is running the ball. He breaks through, and he's headed for the end zone. Nothing between the end zone but me, and, you know, and that's it. And, he's, and he does one of these things and fools me. And my only choice is to reach out and grab the handle that comes on the front of the helmet. You know about that? <laughs> so I grabbed the convenient carrying handle and put him on the ground, one of these things. You know, and his, you know, he was running. And, of course, the handle stopped and everything else kept going. And, you know, one of these things. I thought, man, that was great. And everything went dead silent on the football field. I mean, every other player and the coaches are going like this. You know, like you just pull that guy's head off of his body. I was happy. Yeah, look at that tackle, you know. And I had no idea that face masking was not legal, unsafe, none of those things. I just thought, stop the guy. That's how much I knew about football, okay? Okay, so that's how much. I was shunned for a while. <laughs> but the guy, anyway, so he was fine. So, um, so here's what happened. I'm tearing into the backfield, tearing into the backfield, where there's this tricky play, if you don't know football, that they do. It's called the guard pulls, which is one of the linemen who comes. I'm coming in from this side, and I don't see anything but tunnel vision. I'm going after the quarterback, and I'm going to have him. Well, this guy over here sneaks out of his spot and doesn't do his job, and instead he comes sideways. So the first play they did that, the guard was the biggest guy on the team. I had no idea what was going on. I charged through the line, and I swear to this moment, I don't remember anything but blue sky. This guy hit me like a freight train. I got nowhere near the quarterback, and boom! In an instant, <laughs> the lights went out, and when the lights came back on, I didn't understand what had happened or what had hit me, but boom! In an instant, my viewpoint about football changed. Now, I realize that to many of you, you know, maybe some of the ladies like, what is he talking about? Get past this. But the guys, you understand what I'm talking about. This guy hit me, and I had no idea. That's what happened to Saul. He's going along, and Boom, he's on the ground, and he's looking up, and he sees a light, and in a moment, everything is different, and God has his absolute attention. And here's the beauty of that moment. God, always God, initiates salvation. He's always the one who initiates it. And it may not, for you and me, be as dramatic as that, where you have this blinding light put you in the ground. But God always makes the first move. And some of you can see it. You know, you, you, you're doing, something's going on in your life. Something happens. And you think, wait a second. Was that a coincidence? Was it just happenstance that those things happened? And then you realize, no, that was, that had to be God moving some pieces around. And he's made the first move. You know, God always makes the first move. An example in Scripture is Romans 5. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the reason that this story makes an awful lot, it's really important to me personally, is that I realized that there was never, ever a time in my life where I had to start up this relationship with the Lord. I never had to be the one to initiate that. He was always seeking and pursuing me, and it's the same with every one of you. Last week, I mentioned to you this story about this five-year-old girl who says to me, you know, um, you're going to go to the devil. And um, I, I mentioned that last week, and if you didn't hear that story, you can listen to the message on our website. 
This little girl says this to me about age five. You're going to go to the devil. And the weight of that truth got heavier and heavier and heavier over time. But then there was a moment in my life, a dozen years later, where I said, Lord, I just want to follow you with my life. I want you to be my king and my Lord. And at that moment, that weight was lifted off me immediately. I mean, I prayed in those moments. I, I put down on my knees. And when I stood up, I was a different person completely stood up and, and I began to experience his, in, in my life his healing and his forgiveness and his power. And that's why um, when we teach here and we give a place for people to open their hearts to the Lord is because we believe that in a moment, anyone can be changed. Anyone. And Saul was walking along and God revealed himself through Christ in just a flash of light. And Jesus says, okay, just make one move and I'll tell you what that is. Verse, verse six. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Notice what Jesus did not tell Saul. Well, you're going to be some great spiritual leader. You're going to preach Christ. You're going to write two thirds in the new Testament. You're going to plant churches all over the world and you're going to speak to world government leaders in my behalf. No, God didn't do that. He just said, get up and go into the city. What would Saul have done if he had said, you're going to do the, I mean, he would have said, you know, Run, Saul, run. I can't do all that stuff. And God will order your steps. God says, you know, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Here's what you need to know. This first step. And he shows you what to do. Now do this first step. Then he'll show you the next step. Because each one of those individual steps not only get us closer to where he's taking us, but they show our obedience to the Lord. Go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Be obedient. And here's something that um, I've found to be true in my life. And that is that whenever God seems to be the most silent, it's at those times that maybe I'm being the most disobedient. When he's being silent, when I think he's being silent, it's almost as if he's saying to me, you know, Terry, I told you what to do back down the trail a ways and you haven't done that yet. So why should I tell you something new today? You know, there's an assignment still back here, and I haven't forgotten about it, Terry. Now, come on. And I'm not saying to you that every time that God is silent, that's indicating a disobedience. I think we know the difference. There are times when the Lord is silent, and, uh, you know, Job, and there are lots of examples of that. We know the difference between those and the times that he's silent because he said something, and, you know, we're not going to move on, Terry, until remember... Um, and so, but God may be saying to, to some of us, um, you know, well, God, why don't you show me this in my life? Well, God showed you something sometime back there, and you haven't done that yet. Maybe he's been moving on you. Maybe he's saying to you about somebody, and you can think of this person, that you're supposed to forgive them. You might be asking the Lord to repair a relationship over here in your life. And God is saying to you, go to this person over here. I told you to forgive them. God, but I want to talk about this. Mm, um, I told you what to do. Go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Go forgive that person. Or maybe the Lord has told you to reach out to somebody because you have something they need. And I don't mean that they need to borrow your tractor. Could be. But maybe they just need your smile. Maybe they need the faith that you carry because of where you've been. 
Maybe they need the wisdom because you're already a parent. Maybe, maybe, I don't know what it is, but the Lord has told you to give somebody to something that they need. And he's waiting for that. And he has the answer to what you're asking. But that's next. That's not the next thing necessarily on the list. And he's waiting. And the Lord says, you know, I showed you what to do. And he leads you one step at a time. Maybe he's waiting for you to do one last thing before he shows you the next thing. So, okay, get up and go to the city. Acts, okay, back to verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound. Did not, did not see anyone. So they're hearing this sound going on, but they don't see anything. That must have been kind of wild for them. Eight, verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Not to tell you that every time that I've read this story in the last 25 or 30 years, This is a complete total rabbit trail. I'm just showing you this has nothing to do with the sermon. But here's what goes on in my mind every time I think about this story. Go ahead with that next slide. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so we do know this song, don't we? Do you know the name of this band? What is it? It's Manfred Mann's Earth Band. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, here's some more trivia that has nothing to do with the sermon. Who wrote the song? Oh, a winner! Give that man Bruce Springsteen. But Bruce Springsteen's version was not a hit. Had to go to these hippies. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, so I read this story, and this song goes in my... Okay, see, I was a handful, and you can tell what, you know, too much sugar. (laughs) So here we have this guy who could see one moment physically with his eyes. And the next moment, he's physically blind. But at that next moment, he was also spiritually, his eyes were opening for the first time. Been a very spiritual man but hadn't seen the truth. He was the guy who later in the New Testament penned the words, we have to walk by faith and not by sight in 2 Corinthians. It's better to um, see spiritually than physically, I think. It might be best, though, to see both physically and spiritually. We have our plans, and then all of a sudden, God picks somebody who is unexpected, And here he goes, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. Now, this is amazing just so far because, yes, Lord, apparently Ananias already knew what God's voice in his life sounded like. He has no idea what's coming here, but he knows from the past that that's the voice of the Lord. The answer is yes. Don't know the question yet. But the answer is yes. Sounds like writing a blank check. And it is. It's a blank check of faith. Quite an implication. There's this, there's this image that I have from, you know, if you play baseball, there's something called the ready position. If you're a third baseman, you better be ready because when the ball goes over the plate, the guy can hit it and it can come, that ball can come whistling at you. I played third base some. And that ball can come whistling at you at just under the speed of light. And if you're not ready... You could have this great big whole crater go right through you if somebody hits the ball hard enough. A ready position. And it's Ananias saying, yes, Lord. 
my heart is positioned. I'm ready to hear what you're going to say. And are you saying something to me, God? And am I getting this right? Will this make sense? And God's saying, yes, I'm going to ask you to take a step. And sometimes that step doesn't make sense. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I wonder why it was called Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, okay, step out of this for a second here. Ananias has got to be thinking, hold on a minute. I've heard of this dude. Are you sure, God, you want me to go visit him? Because he's killing people like me. I know I said yes, but let's just make sure you're not mistaken, God, that something's going on here because you know who this guy is. Verse 12, in a vision, God's still talking here. He, had see, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Boy, that's toned down. Wouldn't you want to say, what? <laughs> and here he has come with authority from the chief of priests to arrest all who call on your name. Wow. How much faith was this taking in this guy named Ananias? I mean, how much? He said, yes, Lord, I'm ready. But somebody says to you and you're in Germany, it's a voice who says, you're going to go lay hands on Adolf Hitler. You're a Jew. That's the same deal here. <laughs> oh, and it's a move. Maybe it'll be a little bit painful for you, Ananias. Maybe it's going to cost you to sacrifice something. I'm not going to paint the whole picture for you here. I'm telling you your next step. And it may not make sense to you, Ananias, but believe me, this plays into the grand scheme of things. I got a plan. Trust me. But here's the human truth about things I've learned about Terry as a, as a man and as a father, as a husband, as a leader. Often the difference between where I am and where God wants me to be is the painful move that I am unwilling to make. The difference between where I am and where God wants me to be is some painful move and I'm unwilling to make it. So I've got to make this huge hard decision about being obedient and he's going to show me step by step and I need that especially when the moves are difficult. Don't show me the next eight steps on a deal like this. I want to see them all because I want to know that. Um, my family likes to go camping, and probably one of my favorite places is the Teton National Park, which is right south of Yellowstone. It's spectacular, beautiful. And we've been there many times, and um, we'd been there a couple of times. And I had looked across Jackson Lake at the, the mountain range, from where we would camp and I'd see these mountains over there and I would, you know, at first couple of times I thought, you know, I'd really like to go over there and go up. And um, one time uh, we were there with a family reunion and I have an uncle and a cousin and they said, hey, let's go climb that mountain. I said, sure, great. I got a Zodiac boat and a little motor. We'll go across early in the morning and we'll head up that, that hill. And um, as the day drew on and we got closer, they both bagged out on me, but I thought, you know, I'm going. It was crazy because it was remote wilderness. It was whatever it was. And I'm not some manner of mountain climber, but I'm just determined for the wrong things sometimes. And so I got up early in the morning and I set up a telescope on the peak and I said, honey, look there. I'll be up there eventually. And I left at six in the morning and I got my little Zodiac boat and a little p -p -p motor and I 
Went a, it was about a couple miles to get across the lake, beached my boat, hit it, started up through this. And, you know, and, we're, and I'm starting probably about 6,000 feet, and I'm going to a summit that's around 12,000 feet. And uh, it was cloudy, but I knew the mountain was there because I'd seen it the day before. And I, I, I won't go into a whole lot about this, but I was alone on this mountainside except for me. There's bears up there, elk, bears, lightning, bears, and me, you know. I suppose there are some brown bears around. I've seen them. I've also seen some of the big bad boys there too. But anyway, I'm going up that hill. Never saw any bears, saw elk, heard bears. I'm pretty sure they were, but never saw them. I think they saw me first. But I climbed this mountain. And um, the, the thing was that as I was going up this mountain, it was foggy. And I kept getting to a, I could see a ridge and I'd climb, I think oh, that surely is going to be close to the summit. And I climbed to that ridge and I couldn't see the summit again, but I could see the next ridge because it was foggy. And I just kept going and I kept going and I kept going. The story, the long story short for this, for this application was that as I climbed, I couldn't see how far I had to go. I kept seeing these little, little parts of the journey that were achievable. And because of that, I to this day say that I made that summit not because um, I had the fortitude to go, but because I only saw little bits at a time. Because if I had seen the whole thing, halfway through, I would have said, forget this. I would have said, forget it. Um, I got a lot more stories from that, that thing. That was crazy. I should have died several times on that hill. But the point was, <laughs> when I got to the top, when I got to the summit, it was so worth it. It was, it was amazing. It was beautiful. There was things behind that mountain, hidden in that mountain range that you couldn't see from anywhere else. It was amazing. I'd do it again. You want to go? Okay. I mean, I would do it again. <laughs> and so verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Go, Ananias. I know it doesn't make sense, but this man is my chosen instrument. He's saying, whoa, wait a minute here. He's killing Christians and he's your chosen instrument? Absolutely. You and I ought not be surprised when God chooses the unlikely people. God gets to choose. And I want to say this to you. You need to let this get right down into your souls. I, I know, I, I know this as I just I know this in my knower that God is speaking to some of you today about your calling. And you might not like that, but he's the one who gets to do the choosing. And there's a plan about that. And you know, people you you know, and I don't know what that means by calling. I don't know what that means. It might mean that you become the point and the pillar of righteousness where you work. You do. You keep doing the same job you've been doing and you don't have to become something new and different, but there's just an empowerment that the Lord is going to put upon you and you're going to be light there. People are going to look at your marriage and say, hey, I need some advice because, or they're just going to see the fact that you are, you have integrity and they're attracted to integrity like bugs get attracted to light. I don't know what your calling is. Maybe some of you are going on the mission field. Maybe somebody's going to be up here preaching. I don't know. I just know that the Lord is calling some people. I just know it. 
And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I, I don't think I'm good enough. Or maybe your friends will be telling you you're not good enough. Or you don't know enough and you feel insecure and you don't know the Bible well enough and you feel insignificant. Most people think that God calls people who are being prepared or have been prepared. But the reality is God is preparing people who have been called. It's the exact opposite. If you're being prepared, it's because he's got a call upon you. And you're being prepared more than you realize. And he's preparing you right now. He's not so much looking for the superstar as he's looking for people who will just say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. And I think that there are times when all of us would love to, you know, rise the, the point in our imagination of being this world changer like Saul becomes as he becomes Paul. But instead, what we need to do is to try to be the Ananias in this story. The one who says, yes, I'll be obedient in some small things. Because God says, if you're faithful in some small things, then I'll grant to you some bigger things. Here's a personal, um, be faithful in small things, where the Lord has kind of you know, pinned your pastor to the wall and said, you know, I've told you to do something. And that is this. And I did this. Uh, we, we, we put this out on Easter. But um, in case you don't know, this now is church training. We're going to spend two minutes on this. You're getting trained, okay? So we have these packets. And it says, knowing God. What's in the packet? Nothing scary. There's a nice little letter here from Pastor Terry and Lisa. And you see, it's friendly. Nice little friendly letter. I like to keep it to a half a page, but I couldn't. It took me a page and a half. I'm sorry. It just went to more than I wanted it to be. But this is a letter that's intended to help a person who's opening their heart to the Lord for the first time. And basically it says, um, it, it just confirms for them what Scripture says is going on in their heart. It explains these things that are going on, their feelings, and, and it helps them to understand what's going on spiritually. And it gives them some advice about how to continue um, growing in the Lord. And then the other thing that's in the envelope is this little book. It's a New Testament. Um, but I picked this one because it's a New Testament. But before you get into the New Testament, there's, some, there's a practical section. And it says things like, here are the topics, and it talks just a little bit about these things. Why read the Bible? Who is God? How does God separate us? How does sin separate us from God? Who's Jesus Christ? Who's the Holy Spirit? Why go to church? Great question. I'm not going to bring that up here because you guys, you're the choir. You're at church. Way to be there. Um, what's God's plan for me? What's prayer? What's faith? Good practical questions. And then the New Testament. And I know that the Lord was speaking to me saying, you know, I told you to do something. I'm saying, Lord, I want to see more people open their hearts at the church. I want, this is, this is Terry's vision. I want the church to become a place that anybody can come and embrace Christ. I don't care what kind of life they're living. I don't care what their beliefs are. I don't care what their problems are. This friendly group of people will love people right into that door and trust that the Spirit of God is capable of doing what He wants to do with them. We don't have to do it with them. The Lord will do that with them, just like He did with Terry and with every one of you who are saved. I want this place to be that. So I'm saying, Lord, Lord, you know, the Spirit needs to draw people and court people. And I want to see people get changed and saved. Not that you have to change. That's the Holy Spirit's work, not mine. But I want to see that happen. And the Lord's saying, I told you to do something, Terry. Now, I didn't have to have him remind me of what it was. But the Lord was saying to me, you know, if I'm going to bring people there to be saved, you've got to have some help for them. When a baby gets born... You, you, um, you know, you wipe them off and you bundle them up and you take their Apgar or is that what it's called? What's it called? 
<laughs> Am I even close? Help me, moms. You know, and you check their vitamin K and you do, you do those things because it helps them get a healthy start. And the Lord has been saying to me, what's the healthy start? How are you going to help them? You can't just say, raise your hand. We agree in prayer and off they go. Okay, sink or swim in the world. You can do that and the Holy Spirit will work. But the thing is, the Lord wanted something more. So I said, yes, Lord. This is being faithful in a small, an itty-bitty thing. So here's your training. That's what's in here. And when you hear us stand in front and say, if you want to open your heart to the Lord, you know, you should believe it in your heart and confess with your mouth. You just share with somebody that you've opened your heart with the Lord. And you have all know the routine here. If you've been in the church any period of time, you know what that's like. These packets are going to be sitting on the table in there. Now, if you are already a Christian, I'm asking you not to take these. And I mean, I don't mind if you go get one and look at it and so forth. But keep it pristine and nice so that it's an appropriate gift for the person who really needs it. But here's your part. You bring somebody to church or you're sitting next to somebody or you see someone and they um, say, hey, how do I get one of those packets? Every one of you is now trained and empowered. I want you to say, oh, absolutely, sure, let me get it for you. Don't say, oh, it's on the table. Say, let me get it for you. What's your first name? Oh, hi, Lisa. Hey, come, come with me. Here you go. Here you go. Bless you. Is there anything else? Can I pray with you or do anything? That's all you got to do. You're now trained, deputized. <laughs> we'll spend more time. Um, I, I think, I believe this. I believe that the Lord has plans to see our community get saved here. The Lord has plans to make a difference in people's lives. He doesn't want them grinding away without heaven's help in life and without heaven's plans for their, their future and their eternity. So um, that's one simple thing, and you're all involved. I've recruited you all. Thank you. Say so you're welcome. Okay, great. We're in total agreement. That's terrific. <laughs> so God says, Saul is my chosen instrument, and despite the challenge, our answer to him is, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you in that. And, you know, I suppose that some of you would say, well, I've never seen myself in any sort of a way that could really have an impact. I don't know, Lord, if you're choosing me. I just don't know about that. And basically God says, I don't care. I, um, you are chosen. I think the Lord is saying that to some people today and he's going to reveal himself to you. And he's going to use you for his kingdom glory in some ways that you have no idea. And I think that probably today, too, there are some people who can look backwards and say, you know, I used to walk closer with God than I am today. I was current with my assignments. God said, do this. And I was on it immediately. Do that. And I jumped right on it. And I used to sense those promptings. And I'd step out in faith. And it was fine. But somewhere along the way, that got a little more faint, maybe a little muddier. Somehow over time, my obedience has just not quite been as quick or it's faded. And you could see the light guiding your steps day by day in the past. And you used to see those, but you're not so sure you see them anymore. So the next verse, the next couple of verses are for you. Verse 17 and 18. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, in an instant, everything changed. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Now, 
I need you to hear this. For some of you and for many of you, God has sent me here today so that you can see again. I just know that's true. By faith, I believe that scales are going to fall from my eyes. I don't know if they're going to be literal scales, but I think some people here who it's been a long time, you're going to see spiritually again now because the Lord wants us to. He doesn't want me to. He wants us to. And you're going to hear spiritually again. And you might even get current on your last assignment again. And you'll say, yes, Lord, guide me, lead me. I'm following your lead and your direction. And then when you move forward, you're going to see his hand moving the pieces around the chessboard. You're going to notice that the Lord is up to some things. And that these things, the scripture says, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. And your faith will say, I trust him because he knows the end of the game before it even gets started. And for those of you who used to see and you don't see clearly, it's time today for you to start seeing clearly again. Let's pray. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And our response to you is going to be, yes, Lord, yes. I know, Lord, that there are believers here who hear your voice and they see your hand. And that needs to increase. And Lord, you, you are... You are faithful in that. And there are some here who want to see you and hear you, and they never have. God, I pray that um, as those would open their hearts to relationship with you, that you would show them some grand things that you see about their tomorrows. Show them the things that you're thinking in Jeremiah 29, 11, not about our failures, not about our past, but about our future and about our hope. And for the people here who used to see more clearly, but somewhere along the line, they got distracted. Somewhere along the, the line, their obedience kind of slowed down, but they want to see you again. Lord, your word promises us, it says in the book of James, that, that for anybody who lacks wisdom, if they ask it, that you're going to just pour it out. You promise it. So, Lord, we're asking. Your kids today, we're asking God for wisdom. We're asking for the ability to see you at work. We're asking, Lord, for the ability to hear your voice. And if we have unfinished assignments, Lord, help us move back and take those steps now even if they seem like an impossible mountaintop, Lord, just show us the steps that we need to see, one, two at a time, whatever is right, Lord. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?